excited to get a chance to be with you and preach. Uh, I'm a frustrated preacher. The Lord did call Robin and I to full-time ministry about four years ago now, and we're just waiting on the Lord for what exactly that means and, and just uh, loving every opportunity we have until the Lord makes that clear to serve in any, any way that we can. And um, my mom is really funny, you know, thank you for praying for my parents. My mom is not a good flyer. You know, she's like, it's, it might be a phobia that she has. It's, it's not even a fear. It's like something beyond that. So um, this past week, she informed me that the wills got updated. And uh, the last time the wills got updated was in 1986 when we went on a trip to Hawaii as a family. So she equates planes with death, I guess. And so, uh, so I'm wondering if there'll be another version of the wills, you know, before, while they're in Italy, be worked on, and then we'll be, I'll be informed that there's another version of the wills ready. But um, in honor of my parents flying to Italy, I thought I'd share a couple really horrible jokes with you, as I often do. Uh, the first is, where does a mountain climber keep his plane? In a cliffhanger? Uh, will invisible airplanes ever be a thing? I just can't see them taking off. Uh, what do you call it when a giraffe swallows a toy jet? A plane in the neck? And who invented the first airplane that wouldn't fly? The wrong brothers. Of course, right? Sorry, I, I always seem to find the worst jokes possible to share with you guys. But um, this morning we're studying in Galatians chapter 1, and we're going to read that in a second. Um, but one of the reasons Paul wrote this letter to the Galatians was to address and refute the false teachings that were taking place from a, a group called the Judaizers. The early church, as you know, they had many Jewish believers in it that were coming out of the Jew Jewish religion. And uh, the Judaizers, they had a hard time breaking away from the law. They had a hard time uh, understanding that there wasn't a need for works any longer when it came to a relationship with God. They weren't fully grasping grace and that salvation was through faith in Christ alone plus nothing else. The Judaizers were teaching that an individual had to observe Jewish religions, customs, like circumcision, and keeping uh, of Jewish ceremonial law in order to be saved, and not simply by putting your faith and trust in Christ. And as I studied this first chapter of Galatians, it struck me how contemporary this really is for us here today. It was written approximately 57 to 60 AD, and Paul was dealing with some of the same issues that we are today. And as I studied this chapter, I began asking myself four questions, and these four questions are the outline for the message this morning. And I ask you to ponder them with me today. The four questions we are asking as we study this morning are, one, how do you view yourself? Two, how do you view the world around you? Three, how do you view the gospel? And four, how do you view the input of others in your life? Please stand with me as I read Galatians chapter 1. There's 24 verses. Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 to 24. Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren which are with me unto the churches of Galatia, grace be unto you, and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world, according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. 
I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the gospel of, unto the grace of Christ, unto another gospel, which is not another. But there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. And we said, as we said before, so now, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. For ye have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it, and profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his Son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. Neither when I up went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned on to Damascus. Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him fifteen days. But other of the apostles saw I none, save James the Lord's brother. Now the things which I write unto you, behold, before God I lie not. Afterwards I came into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and was unknown by face unto the churches of Judea which were in Christ. But they had heard only that, which, that he which persecuted us in times past now preacheth the faith which, was, which once he destroyed, and they glorified God and me. Thank you. You may be seated. And there's an awful lot there, um, and we're going to hit what we can. But our first question that I'm asking you to ponder with me is, is how do you view yourself? Um, you know, there's a lot of pressure on us to view ourselves in, in ways that the world is defining. Some are being called victims today. Some are being told that they're in a place and the place that they're in is because of other folks and there's really nothing that they can do unless this other group that has victimized them does something, change their ways, um, provide restitution. There's some that are being told that they're racist today. Others are being told they're privileged. Others are being defined by their political affiliation alone. Some are being told to look at themselves simply because of their social status, how much money they don't have or do have or what kind of car they drive or what kind of home they live in. And that's the way that people should view themselves. Others are told, you know, the evolutionist says, everything's just by chance. Life started because of chance. And in effect, you and I are here as individuals today just because of chance. There was no design. There was no intent. Others are told we're a mistake. You know, Roe versus Wade is in the news, and who knows what's going to happen with that. But um, this idea of someone being conceived in their mother's womb by mistake, and a mistake that can be erased. So some are being told to think of themselves as a mistake. And, and others are being told, as the atheist would say, you know, there is no God, so we're finite. What happens to us happens here and now alone, and it doesn't extend into eternity because we're finite. And Paul had to face this question of how he viewed himself. Because the Judaizers were not only preaching a false gospel, 
But they were, they were accusing Paul of things. They were saying to Paul, you're not a real Christian. You're an apostate. We have the, the God-given gospel. You do not. You are in error. You are a false teacher. And in addition to that, they were telling Paul and telling people around him, Paul is not an apostle. God has not called Paul to be an apostle. And so they were attacking him personally, and they were attacking his ministry, and they were trying to undermine everything that God was trying to do. And here's how Paul chose to, to work through this. Paul chose to view himself through how God defined him, not how others were trying to define him. Paul addresses it right off the bat in the first verse of Galatians chapter 1. He says, Paul, an apostle. You know, the, our name, for people that don't know us, can be the introduction to the very essence of who we are. He says, who I am, Paul, and what I've been called to do, an apostle, he says, it's not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. He didn't listen to the voices that were trying to rock his confidence and change the narrative that God had given Paul. And we're tempted to do that sometimes. We're tempted to get confused based on what powerful people might say, what popular people might say, based on sometimes what people that are very important in our own lives have to say about us. And sometimes we forget what God is saying about us. Paul later in 2 Timothy 1.11, he knows who he is. He says, whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. Paul was rooted and grounded and had to view himself through the lens of who God said he was and what God said that he had for him. And we can make the same choice as Paul as we're faced with these same pressures today, with this same question, with this same dilemma. We can choose to view ourselves as God defines us, not as others do. 2 Timothy 1 verse 9 says, Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling? not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Paul, an apostle, he was called to be an apostle, but you, friend, put your name in there. You have been called for a work. You have been created with a purpose. You're not just here by chance. You're not an accident. You're an infinite creature, and God has called you for such a time as this, in this place, or if you're remote where you are, to be about your father's business. And so what has God called you to? 1 Corinthians 12.27 says, Now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. You're part of something. You're not alone. God adopted us as children and grafted us into the vine. The Bible says that vine is Jesus Christ. And so you are part of God's family, he calls it a body. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 says, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. This is what God says about you. This is not religious. This is not religion. Religion is man-made. This is God talking to you about a personal, a personal relationship with the, that he has with you. And 
that he made you in a very specific way for a very specific calling with very specific gifts and you have experiences and you're wired with a certain personality and all those things make you uniquely who you are. And as Paul said, I, Paul, an apostle, you can put your name in there and say what your calling is. John 8, 36 says, If the Son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Did you know that you and I are free today? With things around us that can look and feel like oppression sometimes around the world and in our country. The Lord said that he made us free. He made us free in the middle of those things. Matthew 5.13 calls us salt of the earth. Matthew 5.14 calls us the light of the world. And so, how do you view yourself this morning? Have you given into the pressure of looking at yourself, viewing yourself, defining yourself through the way someone is trying to convince you that, that this is who you are and this is who you're not? Or are you and I going to the source to our God, to our Creator, to hear the truth about who we are. Our second question we're looking at this morning is, how do you view the world around you? Are people good? You know, when I've had a chance to witness to people, a lot of people feel like they're going to make it to heaven, and it's because people are basically good, and, and they're basically good. You know, they haven't murdered anybody yet. I guess. They pay their taxes, you know. They take a shower occasionally so they socially acceptably smell good. Um, you know, what, whatever and however they define what good is, but, but are people good? Are, are institutions benign, neutral, even righteous? Should we just go with the flow, not rock the boat, as we look at the world around us and see what the status quo is? Are we really evolving, getting better, becoming more enlightened as some people posit? Is the popular way the best way? The right way? Here's an interesting one. Are things legal always beneficial? You know, I, I, I know someone that I care deeply about who is struggling with an addiction and this thing that they're struggling with um, in the state they live in, it's legal to, to recreationally use this drug. Um, that makes me mad, actually, because part of this young person's perspective on this thing is, I don't need to listen to my parents or anybody. I should be able to do this thing because the government says it's legal. Why should anybody tell me to stop? That law is not beneficial. I'm sorry, but that law was put in place because the government wants to tax that thing, and they want income from it, and they'd rather have them get the income than a criminal that's selling it on a street illegally. But that thing is going to destroy this person's life. I'm convinced of that. Because I spent time working in a substance abuse treatment facility, and I saw what this particular thing does to people. It's a gateway, it's a, it's a, it's a slippery slope in a downward direction. It takes a person from this thing to another thing that's not legal anywhere, to another thing. And before you know it, this thing that's legal, that somebody put in their body and it made them feel good, they're dead somewhere because the addiction led them to a to a place that they put stuff in their body that killed them no things that are legal aren't always 
beneficial. And Paul had to face this question too, like we do. There was a group called the Cyrenaics. They had been around for over about 450 years at this point. They're better known to us as the original hedonists. They were founded by the Greek philosopher Aristippus of Cyrene, who argued that the goal of life should be the sentient pleasure of the moment. There are things that view the world around us by saying, we are finite, and as long as I can do whatever feels good, I'm going to do it as long as I can, and, and if it doesn't feel good, I'm going to do it till it does, and that's really all that life is about. The world around me is about me getting personal pleasure any which way I want to. And of course, the Roman Empire existed. The Roman Empire, which was established as, as ancient Rome in about 753 BC and became the Roman Republic in 509 BC, and then became the Roman Empire in around 27 BC, it had been conquering since. So there was war in Paul's time. There was chaos. There was mayhem. And he had to look at the world around him knowing that there was such a thing as war. There were political dictators. There were corrupt politicians that were thriving at that time. And to all of those folks that I mentioned, the world was everything to them. For some of it, the world itself was a god. And so Paul had to choose to make a decision about how he would view the world around him. And the way Paul chose to look at it was how God looked at it not how others were trying to pressure him to look at it. In Galatians 1.4, the first thing I'll call your attention to a little bit into that verse is he says, this present evil world. He said, no. <laughs> we're fooling ourselves if we want to believe that humanity is good, basically, and that everything is just fine. And give humanity long enough and we'll move to a place where we've solved all of our own problems. Paul said, no. Paul said that the world was evil. Now that sounds kind of hard. I don't particularly like saying that. <laughs> but when I compare what I see around me in the news and everything I've learned from history, and I look at God's word, God's word is true. God's word is true. And just as Paul said that the present world he was living in is evil, the present world that we are living in today is evil. It is evil. But that's my opinion. You see, anybody that stands up here and shares, they share what God has led them to, what they believe. Nobody's telling you what to believe. Why? Because you're going to stand before God on your own someday, just as I am, and I have to answer to God for what I've said, for what I believe, for what I think. I don't have to answer to a disinformation board in the government. I don't have to answer to likes or dislikes to my YouTube channel on, on, on YouTube. I frankly don't even have to answer to you. I have to answer to an almighty God who knows all of my thoughts and intentions whose word discerns the, my heart. And so do all of us. We have to answer to the Lord someday about what we think. And God said that the world is evil. And I'm going to choose to agree with him. So we have to make this same choice as Paul did. How are we going to view the world around us? Well, how does God look at it? 
Genesis 3.7 says, the inhabitants of this earth are fallen. Genesis 3.14 says, Satan, its ruler, temporarily, has been cursed. Genesis 3.17 says, the earth itself, the ground. You know, the place that we plant food in and eat and put into our bodies, it's cursed. Why don't we live as long as people used to? Why do we get things like cancer? Part of the answer is because the ground itself, the things that we put into our body, it's cursed. Now, Greg and Kelly are going to fix all that because they're farming and they're going to supply the area with better food at some point. But, but how could anybody think the world around us is good or righteous or getting better? Like so many things people say, when someone talks like that, it seems like there's a mental health issue for them. I mean, they are just not looking at reality. How could this be? 2 Corinthians 4.4 tells us, In whom the God of this world, Satan, hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine onto them. The devil is actively trying to deceive people into thinking that this world is not evil, but it's good. And how many times have you and I bought in? And how many times have you and I been confused? When we look around us, unfortunately, more and more of our institutions are being tainted with evil and falling deeper into corruption. I love sports, but it's getting harder and harder to watch sports with their political agendas and their social justice stances. And, and one of the hardest things for me is the pridefulness when somebody does something they're being paid for about, you know, look at my number, look at my name on my back, look what I did. You scored a touchdown. That's what you're getting paid to do. Just go off to the sideline and just, you know, like don't make a whole after party in the end zone over it. But even worse than that is in every sport, no ref ever makes the right call. They're literally screamed at, cursed at, bumped into. What is that teaching our kids? There is no respect for authority. So you think, you know, we wonder why police aren't respected? It's starting on the ball fields all around here with the rec leagues because parents are screaming at refs and then the kids grow up doing that. I'm sorry, call me old-fashioned. Sports is tainted with evil. Politics, I'm not even going to read my notes. That's the only word I need to say about it. Schools, they used to be for learning about reading, writing, arithmetic, and history, they've become an unsafe place where indoctrination and brainwashing to advance ideological causes is being allowed. And not just in colleges anymore. Our kids are probably coming out of school after this year because of what Governor Murphy's decided about certain things that are supposed to be taught to kids in kindergarten. That's evil. It's wrong. Corporations that used to be focused on putting on a quality product, putting out a quality product or service, they've taken sides on controversial issues, and they're trying to brainwash their employees and customers into siding with them on these issues. The Bible says the only deliverance we have is through Jesus Christ, his shed blood, him forgiving our sins. Deliverance from this evil world cannot be found in a good education a political party, a system of government, a healthy lifestyle, a stable job that pays well, a relationship with another human being, a great hobby, travel, reforms within a country, old laws being struck down or new laws being set up. 
Have you ever noticed how any of the solutions the world offers us never talks about the soul? Never talks about the spiritual. Never talks about Jesus. Jesus is never part of the conversation and lets us to disparage him, to tear him down, to call the people that follow him ignorant, out of touch, people that need a crutch. Well, we're to fight back on these kinds of things, but with a different type of a weapon. We're to fight back with radical love, even toward our enemies and toward the truths of Scripture as the foundation upon not only which we live our lives, but how we see the world around us. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-4 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Did you know that you have that kind of weaponry available to you? 1 John 5, 4 says, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Do you know when you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, not only are you guaranteed heaven in your future, but God says we can have life and life more abundant right now. And what part of that means is that God says that we have the victory, that you are a victor. Not when one administration or another is in the office in the United States. Not whether there's war or peace in Ukraine. Right now. Right now. We are victors. Romans 12.21 says, Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Paul said this world is evil and we are in it, but God says you are an overcomer of evil. No, we're not going to change the direction of the country per se. We might not even be able to change the direction of the community, but we can love the people we know. And we can pray for those that despitefully use us. And when we have conversations, we can lovingly share the truth and be bold enough to show them that God has not a different way, a better way. You know, when we stand up against something, it's not because we hate that person. It's because we want to share God's best life for them. And people want to call that hate, but it's not. It's love. Romans 8.37 says, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Did you know that you're more than a conqueror? You're more than a conqueror through Christ. The third question we're asking ourselves is, how do we view the gospel? How do we view the gospel? In my personal experience, when people are deciding on where to attend church, people care more about the building, the worship band, the kids' programs, and the technology capabilities and the personalities of the pastor and leadership. They care about those more than how much they care about the doctrines being taught in that church. Looking at those non-issues are not how to choose a church. That's not how to judge whether a pastor and the ministry he is leading is the right place to become a member of. The way to judge is first what they believe and teach about the gospel. And of course, this is something that Paul was facing this question in Galatians chapter 1. You know, he wrote this letter less than 30 years since Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Just 30 years after Jesus rose from the dead. And he says in Galatians 1.6, I marvel 
I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ onto another gospel. Now, for Paul to be incredulous about something, let's put this in context. Have you ever met a warrior or talked to somebody that's, that's been to war or, or know of somebody who's been to war and they can't even talk about what they saw in their experiences? Because it was so profound and much of it so awful. But is, have you ever known somebody who's been to war and they, you know, not much phases them because of what they've seen and the horrific things they've seen. Paul tortured people. He had people killed because when he, when he wasn't a believer. He went after the church. He wasn't just offended by it and didn't want to participate in it and spoke out against it. We know Paul was radically against it. And so he saw things and was involved in things that had to leave a searing impression on his mind. A person like that isn't easily um, surprised or isn't always um, taken back by things. But here, Paul says, I marvel. I'm flabbergasted. I'm incredulous. I cannot believe that so soon after our Lord Jesus did the things that we saw him do, you're so confused. You've walked away from what he said. You're teaching something else. In verse 6, he says another gospel. So Paul had to figure out how he was going to face this question and view the gospel. And of course, Paul chooses to view it through how God taught it to him, not how his contemporaries understood it or were teaching it. Galatians 1.7, he kind of takes back what he says in verse 6 about people teaching another gospel. He says, there is no such thing as another gospel, which is, which is not another. No, no, what you're teaching is not another gospel. He says, it's a perversion of the gospel. It's a perversion. That's strong. That's strong. Galatians 1.8, he says, but though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. Strong. Not, I just disagree. That just doesn't jive with the seminary I came from. Let him be accursed. And it's not a mistake because he repeats it in verse 9. As we said before, so now I say again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. And he's putting himself in there too. Because any man is him too. If I go astray, if I get confused, if I leave the way, if I stop telling you what Jesus told me to tell you, the real gospel, I should be accursed too. In Galatians 1.10, For do I not persuade men or God? Here's, here's the heart of it. Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. We are so concerned with what other people think about us. We have to look a certain way and sound a certain way and, and, and um, believe in certain doctrines. Why? Because somebody else said something? Because somebody else believes it? Paul said, no, I stopped really caring about what people thought when it came to Christ. This whole idea of will we fear God or will we fear man? Paul's like, I'm not going to fear or respect humankind to the point where it takes away from what God told me. I will choose to fear the Lord. And so we have a choice to make as Paul made. How are we going to view the gospel? Are we going to view it as God teaches it to us or how Others understand or preach it. Because this 
This is an issue that we're dealing with in the church today. Some want us to believe in 2022 that there are different versions of the gospel, and you can choose whichever one makes you feel good. You know, some say we don't have a choice in salvation, that God has chosen some and rejected others. Some say we are gods and have no need of Jesus Christ. Christian churches, some places are preaching the gospel is that we are gods and have no need of Jesus Christ. And some say our salvation is dependent on ourselves and the works that we do in order to get and stay saved. Paul said, accursed are those gospels and those people. Damnable is what they are and the people who teach those false doctrines. That's not really polite. It doesn't feel very kind. Why don't we seem to care about the truth of the gospel anymore, the most fundamental doctrine of Christianity? How is it we can tolerate and allow churches, pastors, and teachers to mislead people who are seeking, and in many cases, support their ministries with our time, talents, and finances? That's not the loving thing to do. The loving thing to do is to call it what it is, accursed. To confront and love and to share the true gospel, the only gospel that's in effect today, the one Paul taught. Salvation through faith in Jesus Christ plus nothing. Paul put his money where his mouth is and confronted those who he loved. We'll talk about that in a second. But for us, we believe the biblical Pauline gospel that God has for all humanity today is number one. And this is what we share out on the street when we're street preaching. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But God didn't leave us hopeless in our sin. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of that sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Galatians 3.26 says, Fear all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Period. And Romans 10.13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The fourth question we are looking at this morning is, how do you view the input of others in your life? You know, we have friends, we have coworkers, sometimes we have coaches or mentors. We even have trusted spiritual advisors like pastors, evangelists, commentaries that we refer to when we study the scripture, and authors, books that we read, self-help, or books that are written about, you know, scriptures that we, we want to study. Paul had the same thing in his time. He had the Jewish religion that he had come out of, which he didn't forget what that was. He may have still had family that were involved in the Jewish religion. I don't know if all of Paul's family was converted. He had peers in that Jewish religion that were probably still asking him to come back to the mission that he had before he was a believer. There were traditions he observed his whole life. Maybe there was even a family legacy. You know, maybe dad or mom wasn't so happy with the direction that he took. For us, when we get saved, if we get saved out of some other religion, some other faith, it might not be so bad for us. In other parts of the world with certain religions, the person dies. The person's still alive. They, it's as if they're treated as if they've died. And in some cases, the family goes about seeking to kill that person. It's an honorable thing to do. That's pressure. And Paul had some of that pressure. 
How will I choose to view the inputs of other people? We know how he handled it. He looked to God for guidance and advice. He didn't follow the patterns of others. As we keep reading through Galatians 1 and 11, he says, I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. He wasn't going to just listen to what people said. He was going to listen to what God said. Verse 12, For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. If everything you and I know about Scripture is based on what somebody's idea of it is, and we've never gone to the source and opened the Bible and read it, we need to change that. We need to do something about that. We need to personalize it. We need to study. Galatians 1, 15-16, But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by His grace to reveal His Son in me that I might preach Him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. Isn't that interesting? He went from this Jewish tradition that he was in where he said, I was more zealous than my peers, but... You, you, you get the sense that they commiserated about things. They checked in with each other as we do in business and, you know, we, we, we compared notes. He stopped doing that. He said, talking to other people about what God has called me to is really no longer relevant in some ways. He's not saying don't be accountable to each other. He's not saying don't have prayer partners. He's not saying don't be part of a church. But for him, at this point in his life, he said, I stopped listening to other people for a time. Have you and I ever done that? Have we ever just gotten alone with God? Verse 17, he didn't even go back to Jerusalem where the apostles were. After three years, he came back and he talked to Peter. So, we can make the same choice as Paul about how we view the input of others in our lives. We can either do it through God's guidance and advice, or we can follow the patterns of others. You know, I have... Mentors and networking at work, it's considered really important where I work. We're, we call ourselves a very relationship-built company. So, you know, part of the way you advance, part of the way you learn is you, you, you talk to other people, you, you, make a, you, make a, you set up meetings with them, and, and you share stuff about yourself, and you learn about them. And I always had a hard time doing that because it felt like it wasn't really genuine. I felt like I, I had an agenda, just like to advance my career. I don't want to get together with people for like what felt very selfish reasons. But at some point I started mentoring with people and, and I said, I'm going to use this as a ministry. <laughs> I'm going to get to know them and then I'm going to pray for the things they tell me they're, they're having trouble with. And as they get to know me, I'm going to tell them that faith is a big part of my life. And I'm going to talk openly about Jesus. And, and maybe you've had to make decisions about about those kinds of things. Maybe you've struggled with those kinds of questions. When we put our trust and faith in the input of other human beings in our lives only, it can lead, it, it does lead to death, pain, and, and foolishness. The primary input that we need in our lives is God's Word. We need to be prayerfully listening for the leading of the Holy Spirit, which will only call us to activity that aligns with Scripture. If somebody's advice comes from Scripture and it aligns from Scripture, then we can embrace it. But if it contradicts Scripture, then we reject it. I love what Paul says again in verse 17 and 19, that upon getting saved, he went alone away to be alone with God for a while. He let the Lord speak to him directly, and, and he didn't want any other voices around. 
You know, Jesus modeled the same behavior for us in his ministry on earth. Luke 5, 16 and 15, but so much the more went there a fame, there a fame abroad of him, speaking of Jesus, and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. And he withdrew himself into the wilderness and prayed. You know this is true as you've studied the life of Jesus. Luke 6, 12, and it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. Both Paul and Jesus knew there needed to be times in their life where they got away from every other voice, every other influence, every other person, and just be in the presence of God. To get, to get their minds right. To hear only truth. Let's follow that example. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Studying God's word is hard. That's why God calls us a workman when we do it. Because it can be confusing. There's a whole lot of words in the Bible. There's a lot of concepts, precepts, doctrines. There's history. There's timing issues. Who is God talking to in this verse? Why is he saying it? There's cross-referencing. We can joyfully spend the rest of our lives working as hard as we possibly can to study God's word. And we should want to do that. John 14, 26, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. He's the input we should value, not the input of flesh and blood. In 1 Corinthians 2.13, Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. So as we close and relook at these four questions, one, how do you view yourself? Two, how do you view the world around you? Three, how do you view the gospel? And four, how do you view the input of others in your life? Paul gives us a roadmap. Paul dealt with these same questions. And whether you're dealing with these questions or other questions in your life, as we all do, Many questions we deal with. The roadmap is clear. We fear and respect God more than people. We choose to prioritize what He has for us above all others. And I'll just repeat one verse we talked about today, John 8, 36. Here is God's promise for us today in 2022. John 8, 36. If the Son therefore shall make ye free, ye shall be free indeed. Let's pray together. Lord, there are so many questions that we have to consider, and the world can be a difficult place for us, and it can be confusing for us at times, Lord, and there are external pressures that compete for our minds and our hearts, and, and um, we're just fragile, Lord, and we admit that to you today. You know it, but um, we're just agreeing with you that, that we have just a small glimpse of how fragile we are and how much we need you, Lord, how much we need you to, to stay committed to you, Lord, to, to, to love you, to love the things of your book, to love your spirit, to love spiritual songs and hymns above some of the other music that is beautiful and, and, and fine in a lot of ways. But, but we want to love words that glorify you and song more than anything, Lord. And, and in all the different areas in our life and heart that, 
we have decisions to make and questions to ask, Lord. We do want freedom. And that freedom comes from you, only from you, Lord. And it comes in making decisions in partnership with you, allowing you to be the one that makes the call, to just simply try to understand the answer that you already have to lead us in the direction that you want us to go in, to humble ourselves, to be obedient to you, Father, to to long to um, put our own hopes and dreams down, Father, and, 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 and have your hopes and dreams in our lives. They're the best hopes and dreams we could ever have for ourselves. Lord, I pray that we've been encouraged this morning from your word and from what Paul wrote. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.